I am Citizen Forty Four. You are listening to Citizen Forty Four with Mark Aaronsberg live from Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. Darkness. You could say he had a light. You could say the two of them were always in a fight. You could say it's human nature. Be split down to the core. You can blame it on his teachers, but me, I blame the world. To be so young and have to. Everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. This is show number 104. My guest today is Me Holland. Me is a professional leadership coach, a TEDx speaker, author, professional consultant, and business trainer. She is a graduate of the University of San Francisco and has very high hopes of making the world a much better place for everyone. It was really great to have her on the show and hear all the ways that she's working with leaders here in Vietnam on how to be more inclusive and engaging while being forward-thinking in how they portray themselves as leaders and promote healthy ways of being, both professionally and personally. Also, I want to wish a belated happy birthday to me, Holland, whose birthday was yesterday, Sunday, March 20th, here in Vietnam. Also yesterday was the UN International Day of Happiness, which I cannot say is going to be for much of the world right now, based on what is happening in Europe. I don't want to say much about it other than I remember watching the movie The Dead Zone with Christopher Walken. Fantastic movie. If you haven't seen it, it's one of Christopher Walken's finest performances, in my opinion, and a really amazing story by Stephen King. Part of the storyline is... By shaking or touching somebody's hand, Christopher Walken's character can see the future. And Christopher Walken asks his doctor, if you had the chance to kill Hitler, would you have taken that chance? And there was, of course, the dramatic pause in the conversation. And the doctor said, yes, I would kill that son of a bitch. 
And of course, a doctor's code of ethics is to preserve life, not take life, which was fascinating when he asked this question. And I feel the same way about what's happening right now, that we can allow someone so maniacal, something so diabolical to happen as it is happening now and not do something about it. As we sit by and watch innocent men, women, and children, elderly people being slaughtered by a madman. And of course, I am not for the death penalty. I'm not for taking anyone's life. Except in this particular instance, I would have no trouble sending some kind of a missile into the Kremlin. None whatsoever. No hesitation at all to take this motherfucker out. Unfortunately, I cannot be the one to convince others to take this kind of drastic action to end this thing right now. I want to fucking kill this guy, and I've never wanted to kill anybody. That's all I have to say about that. I didn't mention this in the last show because it seems like a long time since the last show came out, but I had COVID. I got COVID a couple of weeks ago, and of course I got it now that it's in its most mild stage around the world. And it ended up being pretty much a severe cold, you know, sore throat, runny nose, cough, that kind of thing. Had it for about a week. And then I thought I was okay and went back to work for a week. But a couple of days ago, all the symptoms crept up on me again. Instant sore throat, got a little lightheaded, got a headache, body aches, that kind of thing. So I'm home now. It's Monday. And, uh... Gosh, I don't know what to do really other than just take care of myself as I normally do and uh, hope that I can get over this quickly. I don't feel too horrible, pretty much the same as I did when I had COVID last time. I have not taken the test as I have not gone out to go purchase the test, but I'm guessing that I have COVID again. And then uh, it's been asked of me by my employers that I actually go to a hospital and get the PCR test for some conclusive evidence that it is no longer in my system. I'm super happy to have Me Holland on the show, a positive force in the world. Here we go. Good morning, me. Good morning. How are you today? Really, really good. That's fantastic. First of all, thank you so much for being on the Citizen 44 podcast. Really appreciate your time today. Excited to talk to you. And now that we're both free to move about Saigon, it's very exciting times as it slowly normalizes here. And before we started, you said you went on a 22-mile bike ride? Uh, not miles, kilometers, so it's a bit less. But yeah, so many things you can do now. I think it's our six days with freedom. And I think we really appreciating, you know, the little things you can do. The bike ride along the canal. For me, that's freedom. To see people walking with their dogs and seeing quite a lot of people cycling 5, 6 a.m. when it's not too hot. I think it's really a nice taste of freedom. Yeah, it's all about the simple things. And we forget because we take them for granted and it's just normal. But when things are taken away from us, we see the immense value in them. And I'm going to imagine that's part of your work. You're a coach, you have an MBA, more than ever right now, the people business is maybe the most needed. 
as the world goes through a lot of significant changes in all kinds of ways, especially here right now in Vietnam, incredible challenges for the population here to adjust to. But again, I've always felt that the people here are very resilient. They've been through a lot. And when I ask a Vietnamese person, how are you today? Everybody invariably says, I'm having a great day every day. I finally said to one person, well, you're not having a great day every minute of the day. And they said, no, of course not. But every day is a great day. And I really love the outlook of the Vietnamese people. It's very positive and proactive, peaceful and sweet. I know you've been out of the country. You've been all over the world. You've done all kinds of interesting things. What are you doing currently? Currently, we are helping a lot of companies during lockdown to help their staff to feel more of who they want to be. So we're working with some companies where we really helping them to take on the journey to find their identity. I'm talking about their cultural identity, helping them to reconnect with who they are and who they want to be, and helping them to be a global citizen. So the cultural identity of Vietnam, but also connections with the planet, understanding our responsibility, especially if we work from home, we have a bigger decision at home because we are impacting the family as well. So we're helping them with having a sense of purpose. And this is the kind of thing that I absolutely enjoy doing because to me, that's not work. That's helping people to be happier. So I'm not just saying happy, I'm saying happier. Sometimes because we are so busy, we don't really realize that we had everything to be happy. So we always want more. And this lockdown, especially for the last few months, even from outside, it's been really, really tough, I think. But for Vietnamese, it's tough as well. Don't get me wrong on that one. But I think that Vietnamese people have that kind of sense of putting things into perspective. And because probably of the past history and that resilience that you mentioned before. And I think it's part of the DNA. Sometimes we forget that we have everything already. And what we do in our company is leveraging it and helping have stronger sense of identity, stronger sense of pride of who you want to be and who you can be. And not always looking outside Vietnam, but looking inside and taking a journey of self-discovery and sending that sense of purpose they might not have and make time to quiet the mind and think about what's really important. This lockdown for the last few months has shaken a lot of us in terms of self-awareness. What is it that we had and we lost? Then we really reconnect with the basic humanness. I really love that kind of aspect where you're almost like a trigger for people to think like, I had it already, but I want to do more. And how can I find more clarity to go towards a journey with more meaning and more impact? So I really enjoy working with those people now. Well, as you know, crisis is the great revealer. When there is a catastrophic event, it's opportunity for reflection, a reassessment, like you said, of what you have, what's important. Are you working with companies directly as far as working with the leadership, with CEOs and their teams? I launched last year and I was part of a TEDx talk in Malaysia. It was virtual. The talk was about feminine quotient, which is a new way of thinking about leadership traits, not based on gender, but based on mindset. It can be a feminine mindset or a masculine mindset. We have been contacted by a few companies, multinationals, and they said, we're doing DNI already. So we're doing diversity and inclusion already. We're very careful about recruitment, we're gender neutral. They're doing all the right thing already, but I think they want to go deeper. 
And here we're talking about mindset for men to embrace more feminine leadership traits. So it doesn't mean to be feminine or female, so that's not that. It's about embracing a different mindset. And feminine traits in leadership, for instance, is really about using more compassion into our leadership, using more empathy, using more kindness when we connect, helping people to grow. That sense of connection and team as family is stronger for people who are embracing that feminine trait than on the masculine leadership trait, which is very, very different. So I think that was two companies I'm referring to now. So they're taking all their female staff for an eight-week journey and really taking them into that mindset of understanding the value of that feminine mindset. And as you know, in Vietnam, depending where you are, if you are in a big city or a little town, that mindset is very different. The woman place in Vietnam society is very different where you're from. So in this case, people are mostly based in very big cities, so Hanoi, Da Nang, and Ho Chi Minh. So I think they're very ready to really embrace that leadership mindset, embrace who they are as women, and really helping them to expand, helping them to leverage that potential that they have already, but not at the right level as we might think. So it's a very exciting journey for all of us, and I'm absolutely excited because we are launching proposed programs next week. So looking forward to feedback and seeing those women changing over eight weeks. That's very exciting. And you say you're working with multinational companies. So you're talking about the integration of different cultures, foreigners that are here potentially in leadership roles, managing Vietnamese people. And of course, even me working here, it's such a different type of an environment to work in versus the States as an example. How are you integrating these people from other cultures into Vietnamese culture and vice versa, where there's Vietnamese people working for foreigners, where's that common ground? How are you finding ways for this mutual appreciation and the diversity that's involved with this, different ways of thinking, really completely different people, and getting them to find some kind of common ground together? Let's be clear about this. It's always a challenge from both sides, I think. But when we reconnect to our humanness, we know that from the heart, we all want to do the right thing. We all want to do good things because we are born to be good. And the differences of culture is because of that misunderstanding of that gap. Because we are comparing the point of reference that we know well, which is our own country, where we're born, where we grew up. So this is where we have gaps, frustrations, conflict as well. But when you come to Vietnam with an open heart and with a mindset of being very curious, wanting to understand rather than judging, then you are in another level. So when you come with no judgment, no point of reference, you're coming here as somebody who is like a sponge to absorb differences and practice non-judgment, which is very hard. And then this is where, you know, from both sides, you have a much deeper connection, a much deeper connection where you can really understand what is behind things which you could have been absolutely frustrated from. So this is, you know, like us when we come to Vietnam. But on the other side, when Vietnamese work with foreign people, somehow because of the history, as you know, people in Vietnam are very, very used to see foreigners. You don't see racism here. You don't see that kind of segregation. You see people admiring foreigners because of their skin color. This is all linked to the history, the colonial history time that we had for a long time, way too long. And that stays in the DNA 
of Vietnamese people. So when you really understand where they're from and really being humble and not having that point of reference, which is our own country where we're from, where we're born, and being a chameleon and really trying to fit in, this is where you have the most amazing stories, the most amazing sharing that you can have from everyone. And I'm sure with your work, Mark, that you agree with me that every single Vietnamese person here in Vietnam has an amazing story and it's absolutely very rich. So when we're here and when we want to know and when we are curious and not judging, this is where those gaps can be less big. And when we work with multinational, for instance, it's not always easy because a lot of expats are living here just for a few years and then they go to another country. So it's very difficult to get the richness of any country if you just stay here for, for two years. You start to understand it is different and then you post it somewhere else. So it's very, very difficult. But if you're here like a foreigner, but like a, a local way of living, it's different. This is where you can really understand underground culture where you are immersed in everything. You can love it one day and then the next day you absolutely hate it, but it's full of surprises. And I love it. I love the Vietnam bit where it's not a single day which is the same. It's full of surprises and you can be absolutely astonished by something which frustrates you so much, but then the next five minutes, somebody comes here and just prepare your bike and um, when you were struggling doing something without asking. So it's absolutely an amazing country for that kind of contrast. So be prepared for not having the standard where we're from and just be open to it. Well, you're talking about being childlike, where you're not attached. We have such embedded behaviors, and unfortunately, we default to those behaviors. And it takes exercise, like any kind of practice. It requires that you are not driven by these embedded behaviors and that you are open and free. I have not had a bad day since I've been here. Yeah. I can't even remember the last time I had a bad day at all, but it's really a, a wonderful place to be. And it's very easy. This is the easiest living I've ever had, other than Thailand. Even easier here, I think. Effortless to connect with people. I must say Sin Chow on the street a hundred times a day. I'm honored to be here with the history, with my country. I'm so blown away about the forgiveness and the appreciation for me. And I'm treated so incredibly well here. I definitely feel like I'm home. I do not feel like I'm a foreigner. I don't feel like I'm a visitor. I've been told I'm an honorary Vietnamese just because I love fish sauce and chilies. <laughs> I want to find out more about you. Where are you from originally? I'm a Vietnamese from overseas, so I was born in France, so you might hear the accent. I was born in the south of France and stayed there till 22, and after I did my MBA in the States, I worked overseas in Japan and Hong Kong, China, and actually haven't been really back to France since, except for holidays. So I've never worked in France. I spend more time now overseas, and my last big stay was in Australia. I planned for two years to stay in Australia, but actually we stayed for 22. And then we come to Vietnam. What was it like growing up as a Vietnamese in France? So my parents actually from the south of Vietnam, and when they came to France, that was in 1952. So they were 13 and 14 years old. So they did the high school, everything in France. So this is a long time ago during the French time. So that was also a difficult time. So I was born in France and grew up in France. Times were very different. So you might not hear those kind of stories from a lot of younger Vietnamese. I'm in my 50s. And what was interesting in France during that time as a Vietnamese, 
I have always felt like people admire Vietnamese so much. And I remember this as a child, whether I was skiing with my family or at school, I had that kind of admiration. So, oh my gosh, Vietnam, such bad luck to be in that domino theory in that time, you know, during all those many wars. And for me, that was that pride. And where I grew up, I was the only Asian. So people don't even know where Vietnam was. They just know the Vietnam War. But for me, that was very interesting because my parents, they spoke to me in Vietnamese at home. So I speak Vietnamese at home and outside, as soon as I close the door, I speak French. At lunchtime, if I don't eat at the French canteen of my school with French food, I can come home and I can eat French food at home. But dinner time, that was Vietnamese food. And we speak all the time Vietnamese at home. So that was very interesting because not many Vietnamese people at all during that time, during you know the 1950s and 60s, it's really not a very big Vietnamese community at all, but a very solid one. And that was the generation when they send the kids overseas to study. They were basically the intellectual people because my grandparents, they're both uni teachers. They were sending the kids you know, overseas to study in the intention to come back. And obviously, because of all the many wars, they didn't come back. And like my parents, they haven't been back to Vietnam for 40 years. So they haven't met their parents for 40 years. So just imagine that. I can't understand what they went through. And we have not been through wars. We have been through wars only through letters. Remember, every Tuesday in those times, you know, we didn't have internet. We had just letters with, we call it the aerograms, a very thin piece of paper. And there's no envelope. It's just a few grams. And you write on it and people send it from Vietnam to my parents. And every Tuesday, my mom came out looking for those letters coming from Vietnam because it took one month for those letters to arrive to France. So this is how I grew up with really interesting stories through the letters, through the friends, the family of my parents telling what's happening. And I lived Vietnam history through the letters. And of course, after that, you know, through the TV as well. But that was something that I will always remember, that, you know, every Tuesday we come out the letterbox and look for a letter from somebody saying, is everything all right? Are they still alive? So this is how I connected with Vietnam. But from the French side, I was extraordinarily well-respected. My family as well. My dad was a doctor, so we were very respected and we have never had any issue in, in France at all. Interesting that I mentioned that to you now. What did it feel like for you to be disconnected from your culture living in France? Or you just grew up in France, you didn't know any differently, but was there any kind of identity struggles for you being so far away from where a lot of your family was and living kind of an independent life outside of your culture, your home culture? Did that impact you at all? I think because of that time when I was born and when all those things unraveled, you know, with the Vietnamese history, for us, you know, like my parents were really pushing for education. This is the only thing that you can do, you know, for my parents to come back to Vietnam and for me to come to Vietnam. For us, there's only one way to push for the best education that we could. And I remember we always have to strive to be the best. So that was part of the culture, you know, the Vietnamese culture. Education is the center of any family. You would sacrifice everything you have for your kids to study overseas. And that was very true for myself as well. So education was something important. And we have to be very good, to be open-minded to everything, to learn everything we could. And that was my parents' value as well. And of course, me as well. And this is what I'm doing for my own children at the moment. 
So for us, that was not a disconnection with Vietnamese culture. We don't know what will happen, but there's only one thing that we know is to be the best person you can be and the best education. So we don't know what will happen in the future. So we were very much living in the present at that time, like a lot of Vietnamese, when you say, you know, do you have a good day? Yes, we have a good day, even if you have plenty of moments which are not good. So we are very optimistic in that sense. You know, we see the global picture. And for us, that was not that sense of disconnection because we were still speaking Vietnamese at home. We were still eating Vietnamese at home. At that time, we were living in a smaller town and we had to go to Paris to buy Vietnamese food. And we packed the car with plenty of ingredients, the noodle, the dry noodle, the the mum, the fish sauce. And we had enough of those ingredients for at least two months. So we always connected in that way. And I believe that all the families that we know through the same way, you know, Viet Kiwa as well, did the same thing. This is how you connected with our culture as well. And putting on equal base, you know, with the French culture. So we were really immersed on both sides. Our company said that we feel disconnected, but the culture that I learned is really from my parents' stories. And because they left quite early, I can't really say that I know a lot. So now that I'm here in Vietnam for four years, nearly four years, I'm really, really learning a lot. The culture, you know, from the street stories, and, and this is something that I couldn't have it from my parents. So it's a bit of a reconnection now, more than before. Reconnection now, just to understand what I have missed, also what my parents missed as well. So yeah, so that's a different, how do you say, um, temporal time gap. Yeah, catching up. Can you describe what it was like when you arrived here? Because that must have been indescribable for you to come to your, your homeland for the first time and integrate into this culture that is embedded in you deep inside, but you had no previous exposure to it other than these letters and your family living abroad. What was it like when you stepped on the soil here? I traveled many times to Vietnam before this longest day now. So the first time that I traveled to Vietnam was with my mother in 1986, a really long time ago. And I have never seen poverty before. Coming from France, I have never seen people begging in the street. I have never seen a bridge with no bridge. You couldn't cross the street. You have to put beams and then the car has to go on the beams and then you have to move the beams so then the car can move. I have never seen this before. And that marked me because I was still very young. I was a teenager with my mom and my mom wanted to come back and show me the country. But that was a very tough time. That was after the opening of the country. So that was my memory of Vietnam. After that, I traveled many times to Vietnam as a tourist. And I had told myself, I will come back when I'm ready to do something more. And this is why this time I'm coming back here. So this is nearly four years we're here with my own family. And we're coming back here to make an impact. We really want to be part of that impact. It took quite a long time to decide when was the time to be here. But I think we're ready here. We're ready because we know what the country has been through, what the people has been through, and the unlucky history. So my husband is from New Zealand. My children are born in Australia, so we have quite a lot of mix here. But we're all willing to come here to learn and share from both sides. We absolutely want to be part of the change. We want to help that younger generation to know how valuable they are, the potential that they have, that resilience that they should not underestimate because it's a strength, the history that they should be proud of because thanks to that history, they are who they are. 
and how to understand the history so then they can go forward even stronger. And this young generation, when we see how they are now, I'm blown away when I see the mindset that they have, the ambition that they have, the eagerness of learning. I was lecturing in Australia before, and I don't have this in Australia. Here, people are so open to wanting to know. It's like catching up with the time that they, they couldn't do it before. And now is that fantastic time where they want to know so then they can move forward and really shape the future. And it's impossible to come to Vietnam and not feel that first of knowledge. It's impossible. It's such a young country and not stuck. They are here because they want to own the future. And we're absolutely delighted to be here now. So, yeah, it's a very humbling experience for us here because we're learning a lot from the young generation as well. For us, it's mentoring. We're sharing what we can. But at the same time, it's also that we're learning so much from the young mindset, how they see life, how they are so optimistic how they see the future bright even if COVID has had an impact on everyone but despite it you know they still keep the smile and move forward that's absolutely amazing that's one of the benefits of being here there's a lot of hopefulness a lot of positivity and like we talked about there's resilience there's a thirst for life and growing where in other parts of the world that seems to have stopped And people are stuck in competition, they're stuck in self, and there's not that mindset. And what's interesting is you now bring this multicultural diversity to Vietnam. So you're not just Vietnamese, you were raised in France, you have a husband from New Zealand, you lived in Australia, you have all this interesting viewpoint diversity. So you offer a lot more. You have a lot of interesting viewpoints that you can bring to the table and share with people to give them more opportunity for mind expansion and pique their curiosity. So that must be an interesting benefit that you have that a lot of people who are just from Vietnam, they don't have that. A lot of people here in Vietnam never get out of Vietnam. I mean, that's all they know is their homeland. But you've collected a lot of data and experience and bring that back here, which is very enticing, especially for young people who are curious to know about the outside world, but may never get out of here. But at least it sparks that curiosity and maybe gives them the hopefulness that at some point they can go explore the world because that's why it's here. We were all born someplace accidentally. It's happenstance. So it's up to the individual to make a choice. Yeah, that's where I was born, but that doesn't mean that's where I'm going to end up. Exactly. So we're talking about stretching our comfort zone. And I think that young generation now, so many people want to study overseas and you meet so many young people now studying overseas. And it's quite common, you know, to meet a lot of people studying in Australia or France or Switzerland or England. And I share with you a very interesting story. So a few years ago, I ran a mindfulness leadership retreat in Hoi An over five days. And at that time, I met a young Vietnamese woman, absolutely the most beautiful heart that you can have, and an open mind, an infinite open mind. And she was telling me, I'm 26, but I haven't done anything yet. And I look at her and say, sorry, what are you talking about? You have studied, you have done your startup in Hoi Yang, you work in tourism. And she said, look at you, you have work in Japan, in Hong Kong. And I said, because I was lucky to want to do it. So we worked together for that retreat. And then the most amazing thing after this, she started to apply for scholarship. And she spent two years in Colombia learning Spanish. And then she had that virus of wanting to know the world. 
So she came back to Vietnam. She applied for a Nova scholarship and she was very successful. So now she's studying for second master's at Monash University in Australia. And she's working in sustainable tourism now. This is what I'm saying. You just need to have that conversation with somebody who say, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. And I say, no, you're not stuck. Go and find a way to be unstuck. And if she has not thought about it, she would have stayed in Vietnam and complained. But to me, that woman is a marvelous example of trying, especially when she told me, Colombia, oh, why not Australia or England? You know, it's a bit easier. No, I just want to go to Colombia and learn Spanish. She said, sure, okay. At that time, she has not told her parents that she was going to Colombia. She has just told it, you know, the last minute, but she has not prepared them because they would have seen it as dangerous. But she had the courage of saying that she was going to study Spanish and to live in a homestay. And that was absolutely a wonderful time for her to be exposed culturally. So that was full immersion. And to me, this is what people need to see. It's not about just going to Singapore or going to Thailand for a week and saying, you know, I, I've been traveling around is to go deep, to go and understand and eat what the locals eat, do what the locals do. It's not just comparing to our point of reference, it's bringing our culture in and missing where we're from. If we have that mindset, we will be so homesick. And that is not a positive experience. But if you're on the other side and you really embrace where you are and where you're going, of course, I like my French fries and my French cheese, but, you know, it's not on a daily basis. For me, it's a treat. So it's mixing many sides of cultural things that you like and embracing especially the local one where you really appreciate it, you know, where you start to understand, oh, this is how people do. Oh, this is how Colombian people do. This is how Vietnamese people do. Oh, this is how Australian people do. So it's really coming with curiosity. You know, we talked about this before, but curiosity, no judgment, and feeling it as your second home. So when you have that mindset, you're not homesick because it's also your home. So that is very different from coming here and just staying for two years and then you're missing home. And I think that being homesick is actually uh, so sad because you can't really do anything about it. Well, what you did for that woman is you gave her permission. And that's what we don't do for each other. Part of the inspiration is letting someone know it's okay that you support them in making decisions that maybe their family wouldn't normally support. Like you said, uh, it was a surprise. You know, there's this element of disappointment or danger or whatever it is. And for a new person to come and give a nurturing nudge and give permission. We oftentimes, especially in a culture like this that is so tethered to family, you're so concerned about what everybody thinks about you and you are in duty to your family. For someone to come from the outside and grant permission is a huge thing because you can change somebody's mind instantly about what they think that they can do versus what they thought that they could not do. And I think that's really important no matter where you are. People need to be given permission to do something other than what they think they're allowed to do, to snap them out of a box that they might feel that they're in and open that lid of that box and go, no, you could jump out of the box and go do whatever you want. I think we all need that because of these embedded behavior patterns, because of what we think through being raised by parents who really don't know what they're doing and imposing their will and the world imposing its will on you. You lose yourself. 
And when you lose yourself, you don't give yourself permission. I mean, I didn't give myself permission until I was 55 years old to get out of my own country and go do some exploring and dump that world. And I have to tell you, I have not thought about being home for one second since I've been here because I spent 20 years practicing being present and getting rid of my old self, killing myself, literally getting rid of that person that was not serving me and anybody else in my path who did not serve me. And this is something that is a conscious effort. People don't know that being the authentic you that you are and nurturing yourself and giving yourself permission is a daily practice. The real education is you being a sapien, being a human being, learning how to account for yourself Become self-aware, become aware of the other people in your life. And this is nothing that we're taught in school. We are not fundamentally taught to be a human being. The most important thing that you can teach a human being is how to be a human being. And there's an art to it. You need to become conscious. And it's why the world is in the state that it's in is because we don't know how to be us. The biggest tragedy of the world is not learning about who you are, what you are, even the functionality of who you are, how to deal with your emotional body, how to deal with yourself in any reasonable way. And because of that, we perpetuate a lot of unnecessary pain and suffering, which makes it a requirement for you to do the work that you do because we do not get proper human training. You buy an automobile for 50,000 USD, it comes with an owner's manual. You buy a blender, you buy any kind of device, it comes with an owner's manual. We come with nothing. Nobody tells us how to do anything. We don't have any kind of troubleshooting. We don't have a little book we can look at and go, oh, if I feel like this, I could try this and then I can get myself out of that. We're so selfish with each other that we have not done just the basic work of ensuring that our children know what to do just in case. This is a failure of the education system. This is a failure of each other. We have not taken care of each other. And it's why the environment is crumbling before our eyes. It's why we're going away. And we will go away sooner than later because we have failed to do the fundamental work to ensure that everybody has their basic needs met and that we understand who and what we are. If we would just do the basic work, we would not be in the situation we're in. I agree in the sense that our generation has not helped with that mindset or that greed of taking, taking, taking as much as we can from the planet. But I think even if it's that the reality, we can still be part of helping that young generation to do the right thing. When we coach our clients, you know, the programs that was mentioned before, we call the global citizenship, we help them to understand self-awareness is the start. If you don't have it, if you think that driving two Mercedes when people are dying in the street or starving in the street, of course I can't judge, but it's up to them to see. There's nothing you can do except raise awareness. And I think the environment, things are a bit gloomy, I agree. But we work now and we're supporting, you know, as part of our community outreach with a few NGOs, a few startups, and they're doing the right thing in their strategy thinking. We help them. Have you thought about the whole cycle of the product? Have you thought about the impact? They have not thought through. That's okay. They don't know. We help them because they want to do it, but they just don't exactly know how to do it. If they don't get it, we help them. We have been automated in what I call the new AI, and it's automated ignorance, which is on a daily basis. We live in an autopilot. 
this is how things are, you know. Let me be selfish and enjoy things as much as I can. You have a proportion of people who don't know what to do, but like to do something. How can I have some guidance? So if I can help 10 startups, and it's helping diversity and inclusion, and also a sustainable aspect to help a startup to embed those ideas into their strategy. So to me, that's brilliant. And those kids, they want to do the right thing. And I think that's our duty for us, the ones who have been responsible for that whole generation of greed, of taking more than what the planet can offer and can regenerate. It's our duty to be part of that change because we created the mess, but we can still fix it. Kudos to Greta Thunberg for what she has done. She's very young. She has great respect from a lot of people, also disrespect from other people as well. But for me, that's that young generation who has to be up there telling people, hey, you need to listen to us. I haven't totally given up. I've just surrendered to the reality of things and they are what they are. If we collectively decided to cooperate and collaborate and decide to do it differently, everything changes in a minute. But that's a lot to ask of an entire species who are caught up looking at their phones and looking at their tiny little lives and not thinking expansively. Well, thank you so much again for being on the show. All the best to you. And thank you from everybody for doing the work that you're doing to help improve the quality of the lives of people here in Vietnam which reverberates out because wherever they go, they take that with them. This is how we expand the consciousness of the universe. We have to start somewhere and then plant that seed so we can keep growing outward. Absolutely. Thanks very much, Mark. Thanks for inviting me. Well, that's the show. I hope you enjoyed it. It was really great to have me on the show and have her share her experiences and all the work that she's doing to try and make the world a better place for all of us, especially for people here in Vietnam who typically are not exposed to her kind of information and can benefit from her coaching and her wanting better things for other people through mind-expanding exercises and working in environments that are conducive to human growth and human potential. She's a super nice lady and uh, really happy to have her here in Vietnam doing the work necessary to provide a better quality of life for people, both professionally and personally. These are really challenging times and we are not learning from our mistakes. We're not learning from history. People have always said history is important. We learn from the past, but we don't. I just as soon erase history and start from scratch. I would like to see us erase everything from our minds and start over again. Because as long as history lingers, the pain and suffering of those experiences will remind us that we are still capable of doing that. And I think eliminating that knowledge that we are capable and replacing that knowledge with pure positivity and potential would give us a much better leveraging point of moving forward in a more harmonious way. So I still and always will disagree with folks that say that we need history in order to learn. I think we need to eliminate history and start over again and learn how to be together the way it was potentially intended and be the best of who we can be. Citizen 44 with Mark Ehrensberg is a listener-supported presentation. 
You can listen to all the shows on Amazon, Apple, CastBox, Spotify, and Stitcher. Really appreciate you listening to the show. Take care. Bye-bye. Additional music for today's show provided by Gene Burnett, geneburnett.com. Thank you, Sam, Zoe, and Val.